On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Kixie here, and I'm your host. So I'm really pleased that I get to bring you today's conversation with Dr. Steve Carstensen. I've been able to, you know, hear Steve talk a couple of times and just heard how well-respected he is in this field of dental sleep medicine. Um, So I was really keen just to kind of pick his brain all about oral appliances and um, just really do a deep dive on this and ask him a lot of the questions you guys ask me, right? So I think it's going to be a really helpful conversation for anybody who's considering oral appliance therapy and whether it might be right for them. So Steve Carsonson is a skilled dentist serving patients at Premier Sleep Associates in Bellevue, Washington. He also serves as a consultant to the American Dental Association for Sleep-Related Breathing Disorders, and he co-authored a textbook for dentists treating that disease. Dr. Carsonson graduated from Baylor College of Dentistry in Houston, Texas, And after that, he and his wife, Midge, who's a dental hygienist, started a private general dentistry practice in Texas before they moved back to Seattle. So the thing a lot of people know Steve for is he spends a lot of his time educating other dentists, um, especially about um, dental sleep medicine. Um, So he is a sleep education director for both the Pankey Institute and Spear Education which are both recognized as really great places for dentists to further their education. So he talks a little bit in the episode as well about his involvement with the AAPMD and um, some of the other things he has going where he's trying to raise awareness with the American Dental Association um, about kids' airways. Um, So I think you're going to find it a really interesting conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Steve Carstensen. So thank you so much for joining me, Steve. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's exciting to be here and with your other podcast guests. I'm I'm honored to be part of that group. Right on. I know. I've been really lucky with who says yes. I just keep (laughs) asking and people say yes. So it's great. Um, Do you want to start off with sort of what led you into this whole dental sleep medicine arena i'm assuming you started in dentistry yeah i I graduated from dental school a long time ago it's over this year is our 40th year out of school so it's been a long time and a few years into my general practice my wife is a dental hygienist and we started our practice together in uh, texas where i went where we both went to school and A few years in, I said, you know, I don't want to be average. How do I not be average? And I landed at the Panky Institute, which is a advanced uh, school for dentistry down in Florida. Great place. Yeah. Well, my second experience down there was led by a practicing dentist out of Dallas. His name is Keith Thornton. And Keith is one of the pioneers of the whole field of dentists getting involved yeah. in how people breathe. Well, Keith and I became close friends right away. And so those people that were in his close orbits, he would say, man, you got to do more of this, man, you got to do more of this. And so I listened and I got started in my practice, treated a patient or two and said, man, this is fun and started taking some more classes. And by that time, I had moved back to my hometown in Seattle and was um, interested in finding out how I could have a bigger impact across the body than just the oral cavity. I like doing dentistry. I mean, that's fun. 
but I started doing these um, crossover medicine, you know, dealing with airway issues and asking different questions. And I found that to be intellectually really challenging, lots of fun. And the people that were coming back after treatment were so uh, appreciative. So that, grateful. Yeah. yeah. It became an easy thing to get started to, to do more of. So I just added an oral appliance to my CPAP. So I have severe sleep apnea and I was doing CPAP for a long time. And then my pressure went up. And I just was having like more leaks and it was less comfy. And so I decided to bite the bullet and get an oral appliance. And it's gone really well and it's really helping. But when I've been posting on Instagram about it, I get a ton of questions and comments from people, which are really showing just that there's a huge lack of awareness and education in the general public about oral appliance therapy and there's a lot of you know misunderstanding about what exactly it is I know it seems basic to you but to, for people listening who are people dealing with sleep apnea who are maybe quite new to this idea that a dentist could even be involved could you kind of break down for us like the different definitions like what oral appliance therapy and mandibular advancement devices are doing versus the other sure. things. Sure. I'm going to paint a little bit different picture to fill in some gaps right there. That Back, great. And, uh, yeah. And when, when the, the disease of oral of sleep apnea was discovered 40 years ago and by a, a physician who started observing that the airway collapsed, Yep. And then another scientist said, well, let's try and help that. And he and, and Dr. Sullivan invented a pressure machine to open the airway. Yep. So uh, Dr. Sullivan invented that pressure machine. Okay. But at, not long after that, as this new thing was spreading around in medicine, a dentist realized that, wow, you know what? There's a parallel between uh, what the CPAP is doing and what I learned in CPR classes. Mm. To hold the lower jaw forward yes and to open airway you know that's what we all learn well yeah. we thought well what if we did this what if we uh, took a couple of night guards and we glued them together and we made the jaw come forward what would that do to the airway and so tom mead was his name in in yes. uh, in albuquerque and uh and he was working with another doctor and his other doctor says that's not going to work and sure enough it did and so that's how oral appliances got started with jaw forward posturing. So what we think about is where is the problem? The problem is the airway behind the tongue closes down. Uh -huh. And that closes down. It can close from a number of things. We have a palate back there. We have a base of our tongue back there. There's some other tissues, all of which can be problems for that airway. So if we bring the lower jaw forward, which is the only movable part we have up there i mean it's our lower jaw we can stretch that forward and bring those soft tissues forward too and then they don't collapse as much behind our tongue okay. now when we make a night guard and by the way night guards are made by dentists of course and because we're taught in dental school that if somebody's grinding their teeth at night then we have a good role to play in protecting them from damaging themselves yes. which is a fantastic thing to do and if somebody is grinding their teeth at night and they're, you know, damaging themselves, we can put a piece of sacrificial plastic in there and, and keep them from damaging their teeth, which they have to keep for a long time. Excellent service. But what we have learned in science is that people who grind their teeth at night oftentimes have a breathing problem. We're not taught that in dental school. And right. so instead of making a night guard and, and putting something in the mouth that does a good job, but an incomplete job, what we're trying to get across to dentists these days is that, um, well, what about breathing? So if uh, your listeners out there are talking to their dentist and their dentist says, well, you look like you grind your teeth, maybe I should make you a night guard. Well, okay, but you should ask them, well, I'm- Why? Why am I grinding my teeth in the first place yeah. would be the question. Exactly, because if they- are snoring or if they know that they're gasping or if they're you know waking up too tired then that's a sign they're not sleeping well and you, you all your listeners know that emma from all those other webcasts yeah. and so so if they're given a night guard one of the um questionable things about a night guard to protect teeth 
is that we add more structures inside the mouth, don't we? So we add something else in there. And if we don't create more space, that means that's much less space for the tongue to live. Yes. And if that's the case, it could make the tongue go backwards and further crowd the airway. So as if, as your listeners are thinking about, well, how am I sleep going? Do I grind my teeth? What about this night guard I've been wearing? Well, then correlate that with you know what else they, know, they observe. And then talk to the dentist about what other chances are. That help? Yep, that does. <laughs> that helps a lot. Yeah. And so talk a little bit more about the level of training dentists get in dental school about people's airways and sleeping and snoring and breathing. Like, is it still that they're not getting really trained in this in their regular dental training? Near, uh, many dental schools now, and I don't have an exhaustive uh, information about this, but mm -hmm. I hear that many dental schools are now incorporating a little bit of airway awareness. Not all dental schools, but some, some are, and some have an actual class, and some of them have an elective class that the dentist can take, mm -hmm. because mostly because a faculty member has gotten the bug, as it were. And, and so brings in that knowledge base or has a friend in the community who's who's making, uh, you know, a good impact on community health and wants to spread that back to the dental schools. But in general, they're not getting any kind of a comprehensive view of this, but neither do physicians. Physicians right. going to medical school Absolutely. don't do this either. And so yeah. dentists are changing. You know, as we become more and more aware of the impact that breathing and sleep health can have on our whole bodies for how our lives it's going to be part of professional training, but yeah, that's kind of guided by the rules that are made by um, accreditation uh, organizations. So they go in and to tell dental schools, okay, you got to check these boxes in your education or else we can't accredit you. Mm -hmm. Well, that is it the American Dental Association is the main part body of it. Yeah. Or? Okay. Yeah, there's, there's a kind of an organization that's affiliated called a commission on dental accreditation, but okay. Yeah, that's that kind of thing. But the uh, we only the, need to know that if we're going to be a dentist. <laughs> you don't need to know that. No, no, we don't no. need to know. No. That. But, but here's the thing: if you're if you're going to your dentist and you're wondering about airway because you're listening to Emma's podcast and you're mm -hmm. curious, you know, you've read Breath by James Nestor and all these cool things you can get, and yeah. your dentist says, "Well, no, I don't do anything with airway." Well, that's not a dentist who's keeping up with the current trends. But not every yeah. dentist needs to treat airway like I do. Right. Right? right. They just need to know a little bit about it. And here's the worst part. If you go to your dentist and say airway and they say, oh, that's a that's bogus or you shouldn't get one of those oral appliances because they'll mess up your bite. Well, that's that's a that's not an uncommon response. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's what my dentist said. See, and, and, <laughs> and so I said, uh, if I don't sleep well, my health is so impacted that, I mean, it doesn't really matter what my bites doing right like, that's right that's right but the yeah. panky institute I, I i mentioned earlier is all about a beautiful um correlation of how this all works muscles teeth the jaw joint it all works great when we do our best at panky institute but um when we do when we keep the lower jaw forward and keep the airway open we can supply oxygen to the brain and i think that's more important than yes. keeping the bite just perfect Although uh, the right the dentists who are doing it the right way work really hard to help their patients understand there's a pretty easy way to reset your bite to normal every morning. And if they get Yeah, you, I mean yeah. that's one of the yeah. things since I got my oral appliance and I was talking a little bit about, you know, having this other aligner that I use in the morning and uh, some exercises to do that my dentist told me about. And yeah. there's all these people that have had oral appliances for years that are like, what are you talking about? My dentist never told me about that. So if someone is listening and they're interested in trying an oral appliance, what are the best ways to find a dentist who really specializes in this? Oh, the first place to go is the dentist that they trust already. Go, right. go in and say, look, uh, doctors, you know, I, I want one of those oral appliances because I don't, you know, whatever reasons they have whether they can't use their CPAP, they haven't been dying, whatever the case is, what do you think about oral appliances? And if they say negative things, I don't like those things, they mess up your body. Well, you're, you know, you're not going to get your answer there. Right. They may say, oh yeah, I know about those. I don't do those, but my colleague down so they the They might street, know someone that does. Right. 
Yeah. And then the, the the third answer is, oh yeah, I make those. And then then you want to ask, how many have you made? Because if you've only made one on your cousin, you know, last year, that's probably right. not the best place to go. And I do think there's a difference. So the the dentist that I went to, Dr. Krantz, big fan. Um, so he used to do general dentistry and do a little bit of the um, sleep medicine stuff like around his general practice. But mm -hmm. now he's gotten rid of his general practice and he just focuses on dental sleep medicine. It's all he does. He spends right. all of his time building relationships with, with sleep doctors you know, like they're they're just like on it and they really know what they're talking about. And I, you know, I just really recommend people looking for those kind of people. So whether it's like the AADSM is also a good thing, I think, like just to find a diplomat. And then the other thing I really want you to spell out for people is a lot of people have a lot of trouble getting oral appliance therapy covered under their health insurance. Right. So I've talked to a number of people who are saying, I don't have dental insurance, though. And I'm saying, but yeah, I'm pretty sure like you should be, you know, you should have coverage for it right under health insurance. And so yeah. can you talk through the different parts of that? Because I I only hear from the patient perspective, right? So I hear people saying at the very end of the process, oh, well, the insurance company said that I didn't do this sleep I didn't have it signed off by a doctor and I didn't have the correct prescription and so I ended up having to pay out of pocket for it so it might not always be covered but can you take people through what the best kind of flow of that is from start to finish to try and help them get things covered oh Emma I wish it was so much simpler gosh <laughs> I feel oh like God. if you could just lay it out really neatly at all but no it doesn't always work out <laughs> well um First of all, just to be clear, is none of this is covered by a dental insurance policy, right? Because these devices are for medical problems, and they, yes. so they don't do that. So that means that everything has to be under a medical policy. And personally, I think that uh, medical problems should be paid for by medical insurance. That's why we pay our premiums. But I have a very cynical attitude about medical insurance companies. And yes. they don't make it simple, right? Same. So, yeah. so we, we can we can set aside the fact that they're all evil. And um, but <laughs> what we can think about is what can a patient do? And there are definitely uh, boxes that have to be checked, forms that have to be signed, um, specific language that has to be included to be able to get these things covered. Uh, dentists all across the country, some of us participate highly in medical insurance. I'm in a network with lots of them. And we still struggle as people who have been doing it for 25 years. And I'm doing it just this for over eight years. And we still struggle to get insurance companies to pay you us. You struggle? We do. Yeah. If you're struggling, oh gosh. I, I, I told you I wish it was easier. And so right. the, the patient on their own, I just can't imagine how that works out. So the, the dentist yeah. office, oh, and what the patient should do is say, look, dentist, you know, show me how you're working this for me, uh, how, how your, your team, and it, can't, it may not be the office, it may be a billing service that the team hires, which yeah. I think is actually the best way to go. Yeah. But you, if you hire a, a medical billing team, they should be able to get it through but Emma, even it's what they do day in, day out, all day long. Is. Yeah. But but even with that, we still get turned down. Even and when we're proving that we're sending all the right stuff in, so it's a frustrating experience for all of us, not mm -hmm. just the patients. Unfortunately, and it ends up landing in the patient's pocketbook, which you know is a terrible thing. But oftentimes, it's not the fault of the dental office and uh, trying to make it work. It's it's the fault of of the insurance. So they should go to their. Look. HR so at the very least, all I'm thinking is at the very, just to tell people that it is possible to claim under their health yeah. insurance for this because it's treating a medical problem. So right. maybe just kind of raise that with your dentist early on, because I know there are dentists who, you know, because it's so frustrating, there are dentists who really don't do much with insurance and people yeah. just pay for stuff so it's good to know that ahead of time i think with patients like the more that you know ahead of time you can like prepare yourself mentally like this is how much it's going to cost like all of that 
So sometimes AMA, um, sometimes, sometimes it's good for the uh, patient to go back to their diagnosing physician, the person yes. who gave them the sleep test and say, look, I'm trying to get this thing paid for. And my, uh, I need you to sign the right form, sign, you know, make yes. the right language, you know, help us out here and they'll yeah. help if they can. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think, I don't know what you think about this. I'm obsessed with matchmaking in all, like not necessarily just romantic, but just in all areas of my life. So I'm like, my neighbor needs a water softener. I know a great guy, like, you know, and especially in the doctor's office, um, you know, when I was trying out like this, getting this oral appliance, I had an appointment with my sleep specialist. So I was sure to say, oh, like I brought my oral appliance and I said, hey, they're going to be contacting you with, you know, the details of my sleep study to follow up. And this is the name of the practice and they're really great. And so, you know, I feel like just because they hadn't worked, they work with a lot of sleep doctors in our area, but they hadn't worked with this particular one that I was going to. And I know that they listen more almost to patients, right? So if their patient is saying to them, this is what's happening. Can you put this in my chart? Can it be part of, you know, like the, the whole conversation? So I really think that sometimes patients feel really helpless in all this, but there's a lot that can be done, I think, to sort of, um, you know, the more that patients are asking for oral appliance therapy, the more dentists are thinking maybe this is something I should offer. And the more that they're talking to their sleep doctors about what's working for them, that's just my, like, I just think patients can play a role in that and improving everything for everybody coming up behind them. We have sleep doctors who um, just don't seem to believe that oral appliances can be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So when we do have the, their patients coming through our office and they get help, they, they love their oral appliance and they're doing great with it and everything's, yep. you know, the sun's shining and the birds are singing every morning, <laughs> then I think it's great when they go back to their sleep doctor and say, man, I really like this. And I like the yeah. service I got over there. And, you yeah. know, they took care of me and all the positives that we can share because in the, in the end, Emma, it doesn't matter how the airway gets open. If it's a CPAP, if it's a surgery, if it's an oral appliance, right. it doesn't make any difference. I just want the airway to be open right. and the brain to get oxygen. Those are the things I want. There are other um, uh, sleep physicians who just say, well, CPAP works, so why think of anything else? Yeah. So there's a stratification of commitment yeah. to their patient's health in there, just like we talked about in dentistry a little bit ago, didn't yeah. we? You know, sure. they say, you know, oral appliance is no. And other other dentists like me say oral appliance is yes, you know, so. Yeah. Are you a new or struggling CPAP user? Are you waking up and flinging your CPAP mask across the room in frustration? Maybe you have mass leak, skin irritation, or wake up with a dry mouth. You might be dealing with uncomfortable trapped gas from swallowing air or hair breakage from your headgear. If any of this sounds familiar, I made a workbook just for you. The six-week CPAP Solutions Workbook is out now. It's just 30 pages and has been designed to give you all the answers to the most common CPAP problems. CPAP isn't for everyone, and I hear way too many stories of people abandoning their CPAP and leaving it on a shelf or in a closet. The workbook includes a six-week tracker that lets you see progress over time. And if CPAP therapy isn't going well for you, you can return to your doctor and show them that you've given CPAP therapy your best effort and ask about other treatment options. To order the six-week CPAP solutions workbook, follow the link at sleepapneastories.com or find the link in the show notes. So this is this is super controversial. I feel oh. like people are gonna like send me messages, right? So we'll see what you have to say about it. Okay. So I've always heard a lot from dental sleep medicine manufacturers who are making oral appliances and the ADSM, there's a lot about go to a, an experienced dentist and get a custom um, oral appliance, right? Which I totally get that. That's what I did and fits really well and all that. But 
I feel like people are telling patients. So a lot of patients are going through that without knowing if oral appliance therapy is going to help them. And then they're spending a lot of money, you know, like thousands of dollars, and then it ends up not working for them and they feel very frustrated. So mm -hmm. I see, I've seen like, you know, Dennis Huang, um, who's in California, uses the MyTap, which is like a, I mean, you know, right? You're totally, because I watched your video on it, right? So so I tried that out and was able to to realize like, oh, this actually does help me. Before I got, well, I spent the money and got the custom-made oral appliances. So I'm just wondering what your take on that is. I think often we're told, like, just go straight for the custom appliance. Do you see some sort of role for these, like, you know, either the boil and bite thing from the pharmacy, maybe not, but like, yeah. What do you think about all that? Well, the over-the-counter devices you can get from the pharmacy or from Amazon or from any other source. The, I love it when people give those a try. Because what they're searching for is a way to make themselves healthier or or quieter. And yeah. if they try one of those, they're not going to use it for very long because it doesn't fit. But right. they'll, they'll get a kind of a glimpse into a preferred future, which I like that part. Yeah. In terms of the professional interim devices like the MyTap, which is my favorite of the bunch. There's a few of those out there, but I do love the MyTap. Then some patients sit there and they, they wonder, uh, is this the right thing for me? Before I commit my job, my 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 patterns, my habits, and yeah. my money to this device, uh, to this to this strategy, is this the right thing? So I'm happily making my tats for those patients. Okay. There's a cost for that though, because they're not free, and that means yeah. that, uh, and so they weigh that against what would be their cost of their deductible or their portion yes. of a custom device using that medical insurance again. So if, and they weigh that out and some patients say, oh, well, you mean it would cost, you know, pretty close to what my deductible is. Well, just let's go with a custom, yeah. but they have a choice about it. That's the whole key right there yeah. is what works for them. And some people really, really, really want to know if it's going to possibly work for them first. And other people yeah. say, yeah, you know what? It's another medical strategy. And I know some of those work and some of them don't. And that's just the way medicine is. So I'm yeah. willing to go. I know yeah. that my neighbor, because um, I'm kind of like the sleep apnea lady, right? So like people are always no, saying, really? oh, my husband, <laughs> let me just send my husband over. So yeah. one of my neighbors was, she had been diagnosed with pretty mild sleep apnea and they did a test of a CPAP and she didn't get on well with it. So she kind of was basically asking me like, what else should I do? And that's what she ended up doing. So she tried out the the non-custom right. you know device and she found it really uncomfortable but she noticed a really big difference that she wasn't snoring so then ah. she went to my dentist and got a custom one so i kind yeah. of think that that is you know i think for people out there especially if they'd rather spend a hundred or two hundred dollars and kind of know going into it like i, I feel like this is probably going to give me results i i think well, that's a good thing <laughs> oh it's, it's good to have choices is what it is yeah. and some people need that uh, step along the way and other people don't that's okay it's okay, okay. do your yeah. thing people um yeah. so the other thing i really wanted to ask you is about um you've been doing this so long like are there particular people that you see in your chair that you think this is going to go really well for this patient and not so much for that patient like are yeah. there you know, is it better for people with mild sleep apnea? Does that not really matter? Like, you know, what? who are the patients that you think, oh, they're going to do really well with this? I'm just wondering if there's particular things. Well, there's a couple of ways to think about that. One of them is, is depending on their diagnosis. If they Now, I'm going to tell you about another concept here called uh, risk-based assessment. Now, we've, we've always known about the AHI, as long as mm -hmm. we, that's an event-based count. So how many times did you stop breathing? Yep. But what the scientists are showing us now is that really uh, the next way of thinking about this is something called risk-based risk assessment, which means how serious is this for your health? Right. So the old labels of mild, moderate, and severe don't really apply. 
So we think about risk. And I also think the more people I interview, the more that the mild, moderate and severe doesn't really like it doesn't track with people's symptoms often. So I've talked to people who are, you know, older, overweight men who were snoring really loud, had a very high HI and only tried to treat it because their wife was annoyed with them. But they right. feel OK. And like, you know, then there's other, especially like younger women who have more of an upper airway resistance syndrome thing and their life is very affected and they're really exhausted and they can't, you know, get help because their AHI is low. So that's really interesting. So looking at, you know, what are the future health consequences for treating or not treating kind of thing. Right. So, so to get back to your question, you say, well, who do I look at might be a good candidate? And I think about their risk and I think about what they've done so far, because as you have talked about, so many people are given a CPAP straight away. Right. Well, if they have a disease and they have a lifestyle problem, their, their bed partner's not happy. If they have a big health risk, then we have to think, what are we going to do for them? And if their CPAP doesn't work, because we, we, we do know that CPAP resolves the event count uh, means of this quite well. If, this, if they've tried to CPAP and won't do it, there's only one other non-invasive way of treating this, and that, that's oral appliance. And so does that make them a bad candidate? Well, I, I, ne I never turn people away who want an oral appliance right. based on what they look like or what my exam does. Now, there are some, there are some uh, a few people out there that I won't make an appliance on, and those are people with very, very uh, acute serious you know jaw joint problems i mean they're hurting yes. today yes. A history of hurting before that doesn't bother me at all but okay. uh, uh they're hurting today we have to fix that first because their jaw that, that was yeah that so the tmj issues was one thing that was interesting to me when i went through this thing of getting my oral appliance because my dentist spent a long time you know, really testing, like, are you having any clicking or popping? And like, you know, how does this feel and, and all of that. And I think that that's quite important because if people, like you said, have pain going into it, that's not a great sign for how they might deal with having an oral appliance. Well, very important distinction. I want to say it again is if you're having pain right now in your jaw joint, you got to fix that first. But yes history of pain up there or popping or clicking is not a contraindication, not a reason not to do the treatment. And your dentist, what they did was they got a thorough evaluation so they knew what they were dealing with. Yep. That way, if you do have a complication, they know where you came from. So they weren't looking for a way to rule you out. They looked for a way to know what they're starting from. Yes. And that's really important there. And, and every, every, I mean, that's, that's just a hallmark of a good quality dental exam. And yeah. so we do that for when we're doing gum disease. We do that when we're doing crowns and fillings too. So, yeah. so that's, that's just a good, that's being a good dentist. So I want to say a little bit more about who's the most predictable to respond well to an oral appliance. Well, I can describe that person as fairly thin and has an ability to push their chin for, forward pretty well. Yeah. Because what does that mean? That means we can affect the soft tissues around the breathing tube behind the tongue. Well, yeah. So what's the opposite of that is a, a very overweight, big, obese, you know, older person who can't move yes. their job. Yes. But but even so, what we don't know, Emma, is what happens to those soft tissues when we push the chin forward. When I was first taught about this, they said, well, if you don't have a certain range that they can move their job when the oral appliance isn't going to work until it does work just fine on those people. So we don't we don't rule people out by body size, shape, or those kind of things. We just talked a little bit about predictability, but mm -hmm. even so, predictability is not very great for us. And if yeah. they try oral appliance first, like a, especially over-the-counter one, but even a professional interim one, like a MyTap, yeah. doesn't 100% predict either. Nothing 100% predicts. Yeah. It's medicine. People have to understand that. We, we try these. It's like taking a pill and and see if your blood pressure goes down well if that one doesn't work they give you a different pill well we have a device and we have a CPAP and we have these other things yeah and if it doesn't work we try something else or we try a combination like you know, you mentioned so yeah and I hope at some point I'm always looking like 20 years in the future but I hope that at some point our diagnostic tools are gonna get to a point where we have much more of an idea like 
this is where the person's airway is collapsing. I mean, at the moment we had the DICE procedure, but that's not really, you know, accessible to a lot of patients, right? Unless they're really in there thinking about having a surgery anyway, like, you know, actually just going and having a DICE procedure to sort of learn more about your airway isn't really a thing people are doing. So I'm hopeful though that, you know, going forward, there will be more of a, less of a trial and error and more of a, like, we think you would do well with this particular therapy because of the way your airway is collapsing. We're just not there yet. Yeah. yeah, we're trying to figure that out too. Yeah, because yeah. it's changed so much when people go to sleep. There, we don't, we have zero ways of looking at how somebody's jaw is shaped, what the size is, how yeah. it moves while they're sitting in our chairs and right. knowing what's going to happen at three in the morning when they're asleep. That we just right. Because yeah. especially even with, you know, CBCT scans, people are standing up and awake, <laughs> which I think their airway looks quite different when they're actually um, sleeping. Yeah, there's, there's certain data we can get off those, but not not predictable for response to therapy data yet. Okay. I mean, there's not a single way we have of doing that. So the other thing I want to talk to you about is, I think you feel pretty strongly like I do about catching some of these airway issues really early in children so that we can prevent people come becoming adults like me was, was the course that you were doing in chicago at the ada was that for kids specifically or was that just all airway stuff yeah, yeah i'm fortunate to lead the a a american dental association's children's airway initiative which we're trying to get to be part of everyday dentistry especially for primary care dentists who see kids or primary care dentists who see or pediatric primary care dentists, because the, you said it yourself, how do we avoid turning people into you? You know, right. how do we get people not to be in their midlife with these airway problems that have been a problem for decades? You yes. mentioned a minute ago, um, the younger females. Well, the reason why people in their twenties or so uh, get these problems is because their body is trying to figure out how to accommodate to these challenges to their physiology to the to the breathing portions they don't they don't have cardiac problems yet they don't have kidney right. problems they have all these other big problems they their their brains are, so, are sorting it all out and so their brains mediate those problems like temporal mandibular disorder or ibs or fibromyalgia or feel just fatigue and depression and anxiety that's all yep. a brain centered thing and it's because the brain is not getting the nutrition it needs oxygen and it's being challenged all the time and it hasn't had the years yet to develop chronic issues so they get acute yeah. so let's back up even further let's back up into teenage years and teenagers are their brains are sorting out their their sleep patterns but if you don't give them a good breathing pattern to go along with a brain that's challenging to get a sleep pattern set for adult life, then we have uh, mood disorders and we have suicidal ideations and we have all these yeah. terrible things that are going on in, in teenagers. So then we back up to five and seven year olds. Now, the, the magic that's happening between birth and puberty is growth. And that growth is uh, can be challenged uh, during those years by bad habits, and, and so we so we think about a kid who breathes through their mouth. We think of a kid who who uh, uses a thumb or some other thing between their teeth. A kid who has a tongue tie. Oh, you've had You're some. You're painting other a picture of me, Steve. <laughs> yeah. uh, little Emma was really big tongue tie, yep. constant thumb sucker, and mouth breather. See. And what happened to Emma as she grew up? Her bones didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, your bone structure didn't grow right, right? Right. So, so dentists are trained to think of to look at teeth. We look at those, but what we're trying to get the message out to is look past the teeth to the bone structure because the bone structure, yes, yes it holds the teeth, but it also uh, holds the soft tissue that defines the airway. So if we can get the bones in the right place and the right shape and the right posture, then the soft tissues open up the airway and the people won't grow up to have these troubles when they reach midlife or yeah. end up in my chair when they're 60. And, uh, and this is like, I think it's worth saying to people, like, I feel like the earlier, like I had um, Dr. Shireen Lim on who oh. um, I know that, well, this is such a small world. Everybody's like, yes. We're good friends, yes. Yeah, that's awesome. So she's amazing, right? But I think that having her on, I, I kept thinking, 
it's almost like the earlier you start, the less you really need to do. I mean, she's working with babies that are having tongue tie releases and then they can go on to breastfeed well and sleep well and there's nothing else to see here, right? Because they then turn into nasal breathers and, you know, she's talking about like them chewing on harder foods to make sure their jaws develop. And those are not super difficult things for parents to, once they know the information and they have the right professionals to help them, that's no work versus being a woman in your mid forties trying to, you know, like trying to fix this, you know, problem after you've had, had everything get worse and worse and worse and worse. So I think that the earlier people are aware of all this stuff for their children, the better. And, and the less, you know, the less interventions really needed. That's right. Yeah. The, the, the trouble we have is scientists, Emma, is that we don't have the evidence for what Shireen uh, and many others um, are saying. And I, I love that message that Shireen's saying. I, I mean, like I said, we're good friends. I believe hardly in what she is and others are doing Yeah, at ADA. But what we don't have is, okay, Shireen sees a patient at, at you know, three days and does yes. a tongue tie and sees him at three years and fixes a habit, sees him at six years and, and helps the growth properly, does all those wonderful things. Well, we don't have the data for that those kids to, that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old because it takes right. that long together the day. Right. So all we can do is we can go up with our our brains. You know, We can think about what we're seeing and we have to say, okay, you know what? A bigger airway is better than a smaller airway. Good habits and nose breathing is better than yeah. bad habits and mouth breathing. So, so this is see what happens to these kids because we right. don't think we're pushing them off track. We think we're putting them on. A great yeah. book I'm reading right now is called Outlive by Peter Atia. I have he, not read it, but I've seen somebody posted about it yesterday that it's uh, a must read. I'm really enjoying this book because he talks about medicine in three phases. And and I, I'm, I, the reason why it's important, I think, is because the first phase is the very, very old days when they did bloodletting and other you know stuff like that. Yeah. Medicine 2.0 was evidence-based, good stuff, where we know we can do a study and we can say, okay, our odds are that this is going to help this patient in this way. But medicine 3.0, he calls it as evidence-informed. And this is the part I love. Because you can take a, a very smart doctor like Dr. Lim and say, you know what, I, I think it makes sense for this child to breathe well through their nose and to hold their tongue in the right position. Okay, that makes sense to me because I see the evidence of what happens to 45-year-old Emma, you know, right. I didn't 45, but anyway, to 40-year-old Well, I'm Emma. 46, so I'm going to take okay. it as a compliment. So I see, I see that I see Emma at forty six, and I and I think about what Emma tells me she was like when she was four point six, yes. and so let's see if we can make a difference to this yeah. to this one that's in my chair right now. Now that's evidence informed, and that's the way medicine needs to go in the future. Yeah. But the establishment doesn't like it that we are telling people things that don't have you know solid studies behind this. Mm -hmm. So, because we're we're disruptors, we're trying to change how we approach kids. I'm trying to get airway awareness into every primary care dental practice, into every pediatric primary care practice, so that we can. And you're doing it. Yeah, well, we're trying. Which is the impressive part, right? So, like so I think a lot of people are are really good at pointing out what's wrong, but I see you out there, you know, like teaching the dentists and doing the stuff, which is great. So, so it's it's energizing when I can I can be in a group with folks like you. I've been on your podcast like Shireen and Sharon. Yeah. Uh, Moore. I mean, these are just wonderful people to hang out. With. I I also think with with the with young kids particularly, my thing as well is like I totally agree with what you're saying about evidence informed decision making and stuff, but also myofunctional therapy for children there's not really a downside to your kids learning better oral habits for things like that. I don't really feel like there's a big downside, like for people just to do it. <laughs> no, the only downside we can come up with there is money because it, you know, it costs right. money to do the therapy. And it so therapists that are going to take people's money for this yeah. should be sure that they've been trained well. 
Right. And you can't do a myofunctional therapy course in a day or a weekend and go back home and call yourself a myofunctional therapist and, right. you know, ethically take money for that. Yes. So, uh, but if you get to the level, you know, if you get trained by people like Sharon Moore, Sarah, yes. you know, Sarah Hornsby, Hornsby or yeah. people, well, and you'd really take it to heart. Well, then you can go out and make a big difference. And frankly, I don't think it's possible to treat little kids without a myofunctional therapy uh, session in, involved. For sure. Part of the with you. Is there anything else you want to cover? If I, well, is there anything major? I feel like I've hit most of the things on my list. Good. <laughs> well, it. I, I appreciate what you're doing out there because you're giving people that are interested, you know, some good information by, you know, leading folks who, who are, are passionate about getting the word out. I mean, well, you know, it's easy, you, <laughs> it's easy to be in our little rooms in our offices and clinics and get passionate about treating the person in the chair. But the people you have on here, and you know, again, I'm grateful to be part of the group, but we all believe in getting the word to a lot more people and, and yeah. spreading it out there. I you think talk- sometimes also making it accessible for, you know, there's there's been a lot of people I've had on my podcast where I have to be like, whoa, 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 back up. Like if somebody's listening who just got a diagnosis with sleep apnea, they don't know any of the terminology you just use. Yeah, that's what we try and do. Uh, yeah, I have a, I, I'm chief dental editor of Dental Sleep Practice Magazine, which is... Oh, yes, we haven't talked about that. Yeah, and, and our goal there is to give tools to the to the dentist and the physicians and the therapists. It's not for the public. It's There's other magazines, yeah. but, but this one is aimed to make sure that the dentists understand how easy it can be to make a big yeah. impact. And yeah. so if that's something else your listeners could do is go to your dentist and they say, and ask about airway. And if they, you know, say, oh yeah, I'm interested in that. Well, ask, do you get Dental Sleep Practice Magazine? Now that is not, a, I mean, the magazine's is oh, free. But, but that's they, one thing I haven't done, Steve. I could be doing that. <laughs> so, so if they're interested enough to be, to, you know, sign up for the magazine. Yeah. Well, that, that is a, is it's just kind of like, being a member of AADSM or being a member of AAPMD. You're going to get to hear about courses and how they can learn yeah. more and, and all of that in a really like easy to digest way, which is it good. De- yeah, demonstrate- like demonstrate- I'm always demonstrate- giving, um, so pa- my kid's pediatric dentist um, yeah. has so many books that I've given her. She's really, really nice. She's not on the, um, she's not on the track yet, but she's, you know, she's always grateful for my latest book that I'm giving her. And, um, you know, we have a back and forth about it. And, you know, so I feel like, again, I feel like patients can, you know, be saying, oh, there's this magazine or, you know, if they don't want to go the, the route of like giving people books. But I do think just having the discussion is great, just that they know that there's patients that, you know, are interested in that and asking the question. And, and if they sign up for things like that, then they it demonstrates a commitment. And, and if we, for our healthcare providers, for any service people that we deal with in our lives, then we want to know that they're into their profession, right? Yeah. You know, they, they enjoy it. They they like the challenge of learning more. They they intend to do it. I talk to dentists around the country because I teach courses all the time. And all the time. So, so focused on their getting their 15 hours of CE so they can meet their license requirement. But, and that's why they see the goal is, is to meet the requirement. And you're like, don't you want to just learn all this stuff? Cause you're curious to figure out how it works. There we go. <laughs> you said it just yeah. right. Yep. Curiosity yeah. is one of my favorite uh, uh, values for people to have. Yeah. yeah. Um, tell us really quickly about, so I'm going to see you at Collaboration Cures. Yeah. So tell us really briefly about, cause you're involved with the AAPMD and right. I just did a little webinar for them that people can go and see. Right. And yep. um, yeah, tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that group and and a bit about what that conference is about. Sure. As we look around and say, okay, who, what kind of a group of people supports this passion that we have? AAPMD, American Academy of Physiologic Medicine and Dentistry, says it right there. It's physiologic, so it's it's whole person. It's medicine and dentistry. It's not limited to one or the other. In fact, we in, incorporate physical therapists and myofunctional therapists and hygienists and all these uh, you know cool people there. 
Um, and we try and bring a message through that's airway centered because everybody breathes, but it's not limited to just that. We have functional medicine doctors who talk about nutrition and we talk about, you know, guarding against some of the other challenges we have in health. Well, uh, it's hard to be around Howie Hinden who started AAPMD without getting passionate because he is such, he just embodies that, right? Yeah. And so, uh, and and I like to be, I, I kind of gravitate towards organizational and leadership port positions. And so, so I volunteered to be on the board and now I volunteer to be part of the um, um, selection process for the speakers at our at Collaboration Cures, where we come together with two other groups and similar uh, philosophies. And so we can take three little meetings and make one bigger meeting. So it's more efficient that way. And people can mingle and learn from other points of view, which is always valuable. So I helped program that meeting well, along with Pat McBride. Have you had Dr. McBride on your course? I sure have. It was great. Yeah, she, yeah she's wonderful. So, uh, so Pat and I are very close friends and we collaborate together to bring up a program we hope will, people will uh, really enjoy. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm yeah. going to be, you know, there for like a day and a half, but I'm going to pack a bunch in. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Make, make so sure we get anything to else well. before we go? I could talk to you for like four hours, but I think we'll, we'll wrap <laughs> up. <for> the... <laughs> okay. So maybe what people could do, if you're, if you're a professional listening to this, you know, a dentist, mm -hmm. a functional medicine doctor, yeah. put, mark in your calendars for September 2024, uh, September 12th through 14, 2024, next year. We already yes. have our dates for Collaboration Cures in San Diego next year. Well, thank you so much. Do you want to oh, tell yeah, people but... where they can find you, like online, yeah. or can they follow you on social media, that kind of thing? Yeah, I'm all over that. Um, at, I'm at, at Steve Carstensen DDS uh, on Instagram and Facebook, and uh, Steve Carstensen DDS.com is my website where you can see all that, too. And there's there's lots of cool things we do. But, uh, okay, yeah. I'm going to link to all those in the show notes so people can yeah. just go there and find you. I'll send you Thank I'll you send so you. much. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, you can always reach me on Instagram. My handle there is at sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience to find the episodes, and I really appreciate it.